0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dewar and this is an episode on the Siege of Dublin in 1317. If you enjoy the following podcast... You will love an upcoming tour of Medieval Wicklow I am organising on May the 18th. During this day-long event we will take a private coach into the mountainous region of Wicklow and see what survives of the fortifications and settlements of this medieval frontier where the Anglo-Normans and the Gaelic Irish battled for control in the late 13th and early 14th centuries. Stay tuned for more details. On February the 21st 1317, tensions in medieval Dublin reached fever pitch. Dubliners were living through what were the worst of days. Two years earlier, an army under Edward Bruce, the brother of the King of Scotland, Robert, invaded and had decimated much of the Norman colony in Ireland. Worse still, famine stalked the land. After three years of heavy rain and failed crops, food prices shot up. The price of wheat had reached 24 shillings for a crannock, that was around six times the normal price. Faced with starvation the poor were reduced to dire straits. Reports of cannibalism were frequent. The annals of the four masters reported, a universal famine prevailed to such a degree that men were wont to devour one another. If this wasn't enough to deal with, Dublin's residents by late February were in a desperate panic. The Scots, who had conquered Norman Ulster, were on the move, invading south and heading for Dublin. Only a few days previously, Richard de Burgh, the Earl of Ulster and Lord of Connacht, had arrived in the city, fleeing ahead of the Scots army, led by the King of Scotland himself, Robert the Bruce. Bruce's army had operated a scorched policy in Ireland since arriving two years previously. They had burned crops and took what little food there was, And now this machine of death was on its way to Dublin. The population could expect no mercy if the city fell and there was no Norman army between Bruce and the city. Indeed the king's representative in Ireland, the justiciar Edmund Butler was still busy far away in Munster trying to raise a force but it would not arrive in time to save Dublin. The city's inhabitants were on their own. Now panic of a siege was not new to medieval Dubliners. In December 1315 a few months after the Scots first invaded they defeated Roger Mortimer the Lord of Trim at the Battle of Kells and in the aftermath it had briefly appeared that they would attack Dublin. Frantic preparations had been undertaken. 10,000 crossbow bolts were ordered to Dublin Castle. Large boulders were brought into the city along with large cowhides which would be used to protect exposed wooden structures from fire. In 1315, however, the city had been saved, when Bruce turned west, away from Dublin. But now in 1317, the city's population would have to undergo all these preparations again. This time, Bruce would not turn away. He was heading directly for Dublin. Fear and panic gripped the population. Sieges were horrific Starvation and disease were the best outcome if the city managed to hold out. Murder and pillage on a grand scale would follow if the city succumbed. As word of the imminent arrival of Bruce's army spread through the city, the population and their mayor, Robert de Nottingham, began to prepare for the tough times ahead. These preparations included the removal of any internal threats who might be loyal to Bruce. In the city streets, the rumour mill of Dublin focused on Richard de Burgh, the Earl of Ulster, the man who had brought the news of the imminent arrival of the Scots army a few days previously. He had long been suspected of being in league with Robert de Bruce in Scotland. De Burgh was, after all, Robert Bruce's father-in-law. His daughter, Elizabeth, had married Robert in 1302. who were still, some of de Burgh's leading supporters in Ulster, had supported Bruce's invasion of Ireland in 1315. Then de Burgh himself had refused military support in the defence of his earldom of Ulster, and his own defence against the Scots had been disastrous, ending in a rout at the Battle of Connor in 1315. This was all too much evidence for the population to stand idly by, and they took no chances. De Burgh was to be arrested. Led by Robert de Nottingham on the 21st of February, a crowd of citizens crossed the River Liffey and headed to the Priory of St Mary's, situated in the Capel Street area of Dublin today. Here de Burgh was staying with his family and retinue. Approaching the Priory, the citizens must have been apprehensive. Richard de Burgh was one of the most powerful nobles in Ireland or even Britain. Seizing him could have immense consequences. But so too, could leaving him at large if he really was a supporter of Bruce. Arriving at the monastery, the townspeople demanded De Burg be turned over. However, he would not relent. This, no doubt, fueled suspicions further. And in this desperate hour, the townspeople had no time or inclination to debate with De Burg. They attacked his quarters in the priory, killing seven of his retinue, and as the chronicler of Saint Mary's relayed. The Earl of Ulster resisted being taken and only relented when the room he was in was burned. De Burgh, who it later transpired was almost certainly innocent, was taken and imprisoned in Dublin Castle and now the citizens began a frantic preparation of the city and its defences. The Priory of St Saviour's, a Dominican foundation situated on the north bank of the medieval bridge, close to where the courts stand today, was torn asunder. The stone was hauled across to the city on the south side of the river and used to build up the walls which were in poor shape. Sorties to surrounding farms were made and foodstuffs were taken and brought inside the walls. No doubt, just like in 1315, vast amounts of crossbow bolts were amassed which would rain down on the Scots as they assaulted the walls. However, the preparations were cut short when, on the 23rd of February, the vast Scots force, numbering thousands, arrived on the north bank of the River Liffey, setting up camp northwest of Dublin, taking Castle Not Castle and imprisoning the Lord Hugh Tyrell. The scene was set for an emaciating, gruelling siege. Inside the city, panic took over, and as darkness drew down over Dublin, the population took desperate measures. Looking out from the city walls to the south and west, it was obvious the city suburb of St Thomas, now the Thomas Street area, presented a serious risk to the defence of Dublin. The houses and buildings would clearly give the Scots cover when they mounted an assault. Action needed to be taken. Before I continue, I just want to take a quick break. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you enjoy this type of history, you will love the upcoming tour of Medieval Wicklow I am organising. On Saturday, May the 18th, I'm leading a bus tour into the Wicklow Mountains through what was a medieval frontier. During this day-long event, we will stop at the key sites, bringing us face-to-face with what survives from this once war-torn medieval frontier. If you want to attend, you need to book your place now, as space is extremely limited. The tour costs only €35 for the whole day, so book your place now by emailing history.com at irishhistorypodcast.ie That's history at irishhistorypodcast.ie Now, back to the siege. In the hours of darkness, on the night of the 23rd and 24th of February, the decision was taken to burn the suburbs of Dublin and deny the Scots any cover. That night, the sky over Dublin was an orange glow as the citizens burned their own suburbs. With little time to plan the destruction, the fire quickly turned into a giant conflagration, consuming vast tracts of the city. The heat inside the walls must have been intense as fire raged through the largely wooden suburb. Fear that this blaze would cross into the walled city must have been terrifying. If that happened, the crowded city would be burned very quickly. Situated on the north bank of the river, Bruce's Scottish army were stunned by this action. As they looked east from their camp, which covered the modern Phoenix Park stretching up to Castle Lock, they would not have been able to see the city. Instead, they were confronted by a wall of fire. As morning rose over Dublin, much of the city outside the walls was no doubt still ablaze in what was unquestionably the worst fire in Dublin's history. The Scots army, who were not skilled at siege warfare, and possessed no siege engines or towers, now found themselves in a difficult position. With no cover, they faced clearly tenacious defenders. Indeed, an assault would not have been possible for a few days until the fire had subsided. Even then, it was pretty difficult to see Dublin falling. Unwilling to wait, Bruce decided to move away south from Dublin into the southern heartland of the Norman colony where Edmund Butler was raising his army. However... It cannot be said Dublin was saved. By the 24th of February, the city was devastated. The Exchequer buildings, situated to the east of the city, in the vicinity of Exchequer Street today, were burned, along with the just this year's Court building. Even worse was the damage in the suburb of St Thomas, where 80% of the buildings were burned. St Patrick's Cathedral was also damaged, where the Scots had attacked St Mary's Abbey and the Priory of the Knights Hospitaller in Kilmainham. Economically, the damage was put at around £10,000, which was the equivalent of over one million days' work for a medieval peasant or three to four years of income for the entire colony's exchequer. While the threat from war and famine subsided in 1318, when the weather improved and Edward Bruce was killed at the Battle of Fahart, the medieval city of Dublin would never really recover from this period of famine and war. It's not clear if or when the suburb of St Thomas was rebuilt in the medieval period. Certainly, by the 1330s, when the city saw permission to rebuild, little had been done. Worse still, the memory of famine haunted the population for decades. As we draw this podcast to a close, I will leave the final words of those dark days to a witness of the events, the chronicler of St Mary's Priory in Dublin. It was reported of a truth that some of the aforesaid evildoers, The Scots were so hungry and starved that in the churchyards they took bodies out of graves and in their skulls boiled flesh and fed thereupon. Yea, and women did eat their own children. If you enjoy medieval history of Ireland like this, as I mentioned, you will love the upcoming tour I am organising of Medieval Wicklow on Saturday, May 18th. On this day-long tour, we will journey back into what the Normans called the Tierra Guerre or Land of War. We will return to the 14th century when Norman settlers and the Gaelic Irish fought for control of this scenic landscape. Places cost only 35 euros but are strictly limited as we will travel by private coach. So if you want to partake you need to book your place now by emailing history at irishhistorypodcast.ie That's history at irishhistorypodcast.ie Until next time, Sloan.